Thank you for listening to this new episode of the podcast, By the Still Water. Just a quick note. With this episode, we will have passed the 4,000 download mark. Thank you for those that have been with us from the beginning and those that are new to the podcast. We hope that you will continue to find these messages and encouragement and that you find occasion to pass these messages on to others. Thank you for listening. One of the most common stories about people that become wealthy is that they found a way to solve a problem. There was a Swedish inventor in the 1800s that was very good at that. He came from a family of scientists and inventors and continued on that path himself. In his lifetime, he filed more than 300 patents for inventions in his name. Among those was one that was meant to save lives, but would end up giving him the reputation of a killer. One of the most dangerous professions throughout history has been that of a miner. Whether working in an open pit mine or a deep hole in the ground, countless mine workers have died by falling or being crushed. But when the Industrial Age began, a new danger to miners arose. Explosives. As the demand for raw materials increased, better ways to break the rocks loose needed to be found. The miners turned to the two materials that could blast the rock loose. The first was gunpowder, but it was not very effective and was quite dangerous to handle. The other was nitroglycerin, but that was even more dangerous, almost impossible to transport or handle safely. A solution needed to be found to make the mines safer. It was then that our Swedish inventor stepped up to solve the problem. He used an absorbent material to contain the nitroglycerin and make it safer to handle. He called his invention dynamite. But some people saw something else in his invention. They saw a weapon. Explosives began showing up on the battlefield with terrible results. One day, our inventor saw a newspaper article calling him the Merchant of Death and he was crushed. He intended his inventions to be lifesavers. Because of the article, he quietly changed his will so that his vast wealth would be used to promote peace, medicine, and science. If you have not guessed, the inventor's name was Alfred Nobel, and the prize awarded every year still bears his name, the Nobel Prize. Throughout history, many inventions and ideas that were meant for good have been twisted by others for evil. That was true in the days of Jesus as well. In many ways, that is the thesis of the teaching of Jesus we have been calling the Mountain Sermon. When Jesus spoke these words, it had been more than a thousand years since God had given the Hebrews what we know of as the Ten Commandments and the other parts of their law. The pure message and intent of the law to provide a spiritual framework for the new life the Hebrews would begin in the promised land had become twisted and corrupted by the religious leadership. Like those that took the technology of explosives and used them for war, the cold and prideful teaching of the Pharisees was never what the law was intended to look like. Jesus took aim at these warped teachings and returned them back to the real heart of the law. But in this lies a problem. Many people that read these words are not Jewish. What does any of this have to do with me? While Jesus is speaking to a Hebrew audience, 
we need to remember that this whole lesson is described as the good news of the kingdom. Many have looked at the cultural framework of this lesson and used that to dismiss the words as not relevant to their life. But if we go back to the introduction, the statements of blessing we talked about in earlier podcasts, it is clear this lesson is deeper than religious reform. This is religious revolution. Jesus challenges those that are listening to change their heart, their pride, their values, and their attitude toward others as the starting place for the kingdom citizen. This is brought in sharp focus when he says that unless you can do and be better than your religious teachers that hold themselves in such high esteem, the kingdom of Jesus is not for you. Now, he begins the specific illustrations of how the once great law of Moses had become a twisted shadow of itself. We can see that Jesus is not attacking the law itself because he had said earlier that he would not harm any part of the law until it had served its purpose. And in other places where he discusses the law, he often would use the phrase, it is written. But here, he uses a phrase that sounds something like, you have heard that it was said to our people long ago. Jesus is talking about how the intent of God's law had been distorted and how those that had elevated themselves to importance were the ones that had distorted God's law. But how could these religious leaders twist the ancient law for their gain? The basic answer is, they took God and the person's heart out of the picture. The first statement illustrates this. The topic is murder. If someone kills, they will be brought before the courts. But what is missing, or what they have deleted from their teaching, was the intent of harm and hurt, and that God would hold people accountable for the harm they did. The weapon Jesus talks about is not a knife or a sword, but hurtful words. Someone can be hurt by words, hurt in a way that can never be undone, just like murder cannot be undone. Further, God will hold someone accountable for that hurt and harm done by those words. The courts are not the issue. The judgment of God is. From a system that had been all about actions, Jesus reintroduces the importance of intent and attitude behind the action. He reintroduces the importance of the heart into a system that had all but forgotten it. This fits the introduction to the mountain sermon we discussed earlier. The nine statements of blessing were related to the heart of a person, their pride, their humility, their focus and value, and yes, their attitude toward others. One of these blessing statements is about being merciful, and here we see that attitude put into motion. Jesus says his people do not harm others, even with the weapon of a hurtful word. The next part takes this mindset another step. Jesus says that you have been told not to act in an immoral way, but I challenge you not to think in an immoral way. Lust is a topic that we can tackle on other podcasts, but for now, Jesus tells them that the actions are not the only thing that will be called into account by God. 
but some might justify their actions by saying something like, I could not help myself. In the eyes of God, that just won't fly. Jesus says, if you think that your hand just reached out on its own and you could not stop it, the best solution is for you to cut off your hand. But Jesus is not asking them to harm themselves, but for them to quit using excuses. Many have pointed to these statements as Jesus using irony or even humor to make his point. The bottom line is that where the problem lies is in the heart, not in the hand or in the eye. Jesus says, fix your heart. Another section deals with lying. The religious leaders thought they had found a loophole that would allow someone to lie if they did not swear a proper oath. They had created a way for people to lie and to swindle. Jesus cuts to the heart of the matter and says, A lie is a lie. A cheat is a cheat. And the solution is to tell the truth. Many episodes ago, the subject of our podcast was Psalm 40, in that we discussed the idea of someone that would be a part of God's family or clan and how they would act. One of those statements was someone that would make a promise and keep their word. That psalm predates this statement by Jesus by a thousand years, yet the concept is identical. Jesus is not reinventing the Hebrew law, but showing them how far off it had become. The next section is one of the most famous and misunderstood statements made by Jesus. This is where he tells them to turn the other cheek. This is not a comment on the problem of assault and battery, but on hate. We have all been harmed, and we have all been hurt. The religious teachers promoted the idea of vengeance and that someone had the right to seek vengeance. But instead, Jesus says that even if you are the party wronged or hurt, it is better to forgive than to hold on to that hate. The image is that it would be better to be wronged twice and forgive than to carry the hate and desire for vengeance in your heart. Jesus says, love your enemies. We have talked before about this Greek word that is sometimes translated love. It is the word agape. It means seeking the best for someone. This is not affection or even friendship. This is choosing to act for someone's good even if it is someone that would wish you harm. That is hard. Winter in France is cold, and the cold was especially bitter in December of 1944. In the desperate closing months of the war, Adolf Hitler had sent boys, the so-called Hitler Youth, into battle. They had fought with a fanatic zeal that only someone raised in the Nazi hate system could have. But the seasoned American soldiers defeated and had captured a few after a long and bloody battle. One prisoner of war sat shivering on the cold ground with his hands on his head. He was cold and without shoes. He was terrified, and he was 14 years old. One American soldier that was nearby found a pair of shoes and handed them to the prisoner. For his kindness, his fellow soldiers knocked him down, and took back the shoes. Beaten and bloody, the American returned a few minutes later with another pair of shoes and gave it to the German boy that had earlier 
that day. Been trying to kill them. Jesus says we do not have to feel affection to act in kindness. We do not have to like someone to act with agape love. It is a choice made outside of emotion. But look at where Jesus has taken us. He started out describing a situation where a harsh word would do irreparable harm and ends up in the opposite situation, a place where someone would wish to do us harm, but we choose to act toward the enemy with love. Many would say that the teaching of Jesus here is completely impractical, if not impossible, to do. But Jesus has an answer for that. We talked about Paul's statement about when Jesus died for us while we were still the enemy. He not only taught us the way, but he also showed us the way. And if that were not hard enough, Jesus tells them, be like God, be perfect. A small fleet of three ships sailed from Spain in 1492. Christopher Columbus, sailing in ships that were smaller than a modern bus, was determined to find a passage through to Asia. He sailed for more than two months without seeing land before finding the island of Hispaniola. How did he do that? The answer is, he was following the stars. Columbus knew how to navigate using stars to determine his position. Now, Columbus had no chance of reaching the stars with his leaky boats, but he could still navigate by them. In a similar way, Jesus tells them that it is God that is the point of reference for spiritual navigation. He tells those that were listening to set the course of their life by God. Think back to our discussion of Psalm 19. While the stars tell of God's power, it is his word that is the guide for a godly life. The ironic thing about Alfred Nobel's story is that none of it was true. Nobel's invention of dynamite was not suitable for use in weapons. The new story was wrong in another way. It said he had died. Among the inaccurate and misleading teachings of the religious leaders, Jesus tells the people it is time to return to the true nature of a godly life, a life of forgiveness and integrity. He preached to love your enemies and speak the truth. He preached that godly actions start with a godly heart. He preached that God's people look at him as the standard and the reference point for truth and integrity. We will continue to look at the Mountain Sermon of Jesus on later podcasts, but know this, Jesus challenged the conventional thinking of the day, and the same applies to us. Alfred Nobel spent his fortune to promote peace. Are we willing to take up the challenge of addressing the content of our heart? What are we willing to give? Thank you for listening to this episode of By the Still Water. It is our desire that these messages reflect the true Word of God. If you would like to reach us, you can reach us by email at bythestillwater2024 at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook at By the Still Water Podcast. Please consider subscribing. This will alert you to new episodes when they are made available. Again, thank you for listening.